0: This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
1: Welcome back to the program. Darren Pang is going to stop by at the top of the hour, uh, tour around uh, various trade boards uh, around the NHL. We'll talk a lot about the uh, Chicago Blackhawks as well. And the future there, uh, we'll park a lot of time talking about Connor Bedard, obviously, but also... Uh, More of my fascination with Alex Vlasic, who probably deserves more love than he's getting around the NHL because when you talk about the Blackhawks, eh, there's one particular player that tends to, oh, I don't know, suck up all the oxygen. And listen, he's like legit and it's great. And a lot of talk about Conor Bedard. The hipsters, (laughs) know. as we like to say. Uh, Alex Vlasic, folks. Alex Vlasic. Uh, Corey LaVolette uh, from North State Journal commenting on the Carolina Hurricanes of late and also tonight's matchup against the Florida Panthers. Corey, how are you today? Thanks so much for doing this as always.
2: I'm doing great, Jeff. I hope you're doing well.
1: Uh, I am doing very well. Thank you very much. Are the Carolina Hurricanes facing the best team in hockey tonight?
2: I think so. I mean, uh You know, Florida, although against, you know, Ottawa, they had a little hiccup there in the third period. But uh, there's a lot to like there. I mean, if if Sergei Bobrovsky's playing well, uh, that that shores up a whole lot for for any team when your goalie's playing that well. Uh, And then you look up front um, and the talent they have and then the the contributions they've gotten, you know, from guys like Oliver Ekman Larson that a lot of people, you know, thought was on the scrap heap. Uh, for him to have the kind of year he's had, uh, just a great find by, by Bill Zito and his staff, and uh, they're fun to watch for sure, and they're feisty, and I'm curious yeah. to see how the, uh, how the Hurricanes with their added feistiness this year uh, match up.
1: Are are they done getting frisky? Like I, I know, like th- this does feel very much like a different Carolina Hurricanes team. You watch I and mean, you watch them day in and day out, and you know practices and games. It does feel like a different Her- Carolina Hurricanes squad. Um, we've seen a lot of different versions of the Carolina Hurricanes. Like who are the can? We well, and I have talked about this before. Um, do you think they're done, or do you still see the Carolina Hurricanes making at least one move, and maybe that move is a goaltender?
2: yeah, I don't think they're gonna do anything on goaltending. Um, you know, the fact is is and I, I wrote this for the athletic today, you know, they're gonna have four guys in a minute, and all of a sudden they went from having a one guy and then on an ECHL call up to now you've got four guys who probably all deserve to be uh, on an NHL roster. So I think they're they're pretty comfortable with where they're at, especially if Freddie Anderson, who we we talked to for the first time yesterday, can um, can clear all the hurdles he needs to clear and get back in the lineup. Um, so, you know, beyond that, I think um, they're pretty happy with their defense. I, I, if they could, you know, find a home for Tony D'Angelo, I think they would try to do that. You know, that would be mutually something both sides would want, I think. Um, and then they would obviously need to go get another defenseman if they were to do that. Um, so there's that, that there. But that said, Tony's played well um, the last week and a half or so when he's been called on to play. Uh, I think they'll, they'll probably go and shop for a, a bottom six forward and look around at that market and see if there's somebody, um, even if it ends up just being a depth guy, somebody that can, you know, add a little bit. I really like Barabanoff in San Jose. He's a guy that stands out to me as mm. someone who would fit Rod Brendamore's Rod system, but uh, I'm not making a decision, so... <laughs>
1: Listen, we're all doing the same thing. We're all sort of throwing throwing darts and and, and imagining what fits here. Um, But, yeah, listen, like the the strength of this Carolina Hurricanes team has, as we all know, uh, been the blue line. Um, I, I still think one of the hardest things to do, uh, in the NHL, is to try to get a puck by Jacob Slavin. Like it's, I I love watching Carolina Hurricanes games and watching guys try to go through or around Jacob Slaven. He's just sublime, and uh, you know, you you study the game and you realize just like, just how great and how smart Jacob Slavin is. But um, other than that, like, what do you think? Like, if someone's watching the Carolina Hurricanes for the first time this season tonight against the Florida Panthers. Oh, this is a juicy matchup. This one looks great. Uh, One of the top teams in the Metropolitan are on a three-game rip, eight and two in their last ten, facing off against a team you can make a case, as you just did, for being the top team in the NHL. What should we be looking for with this Carolina Hurricane squad?
2: I mean, their success always comes down to how aggressive they are um, on the forecheck, on getting pucks deep. and I mean, that's the most cliche thing ever, but... No team does it like Carolina, All right. right? They're going to turn the, turn, <clears throat> turn your defenseman around, and they're going to get in on the forecheck. And, you know, Jordan Martin, if you watch closely, he is one of the best players in the league, I think, at just forechecking hard and getting a stick on pucks. It's so impressive to watch what he does on the forecheck and really helps that, that line with Jordan Stahl, really, uh, which now has Seth Jarvis on it uh, as of, you know, the last little bit. Um, you know, really just dominate possession. And then on top of that, you know, when the puck is down there and and they're forechecking and they have possession, the D do such a good job at at pinching in and keeping pucks in and and catching those forwards off guard that are, they're thinking, you know, the puck's coming to them and they're going to turn and head up ice. And instead, here comes, you know, Brady Shea or Jacob Slavin or Brent Burns with this, you know, all these rangy guys, you know, Brett Pesci with their long sticks just, shoving it back in, and now we're, you know, we're in the offensive zone for another 40 seconds. Um, I, I, know the big, yeah. I know the big knock on Carolina is, you know, you don't see maybe the dynamic goal scoring all the time. It's more of a grind, but that wears on teams. And, I mean, uh, you know, over the course of a seven-game series, it'll wear on teams, too. So uh, I, I think tonight's going to be just an absolute, an absolute blast. I love games like this, so I'm excited for it.
1: Uh, this one should be a lot of fun, and you know it's interesting. Whenever I look at, you know, a Florida Panthers Carolina Hurricanes matchup, like listen, like Florida just flat out nasty to play against. Like this is a this is a tough and annoying team to play against, um, and it's not just Cousins and Kachuk. You throw in Bennett, like there's a lot of uh Ryan Lomberg was you know hurt right now, but like there's there's a there's a whole lot of nastiness on that Florida side, and I always say to myself, okay. This is one of the reasons why the Carolina Hurricanes went out and brought in a player like Michael Bunting. Uh, I know at times it hasn't really been a great fit with Bunting and the Hurricanes, but where's the team at now with him in this lineup?
2: You know, I think they've actually found a home for him right now, and that's um, you know opposite of Martin Natchez with, with Jack Drury at center. And, you know, people around the league might look and say, Jack Drury, you know, wasn't he a fourth liner or wasn't he in the AHL most the last year? But he's had a really, really good year, and he's such a smart player. And Rod Brindamore has said, you know, Bunting and Natchez might not be the greatest defensive play, defensive forwards in the league, um, but having Jack out there with them uh, gives that stability. And then, you know, as you mentioned, the defense helps with that too. Uh, I, yeah, I think the addition of Bunting is going to make a, a big difference. He's one of the I, more fun players to watch to me because – He's not agitating the way like a guy like Ryan Lomberg would do, you know, like where he's gonna come in and hit you hard and all that. It's more subtle with a uh, with a sneer and I, I, I just think he it will be a great it'll be great to see what happens with him and guys like Kachuk and, and, and that way. Uh, and then, you know, last year's series didn't include Andre Svechnikov and while he may not be an agitator, he certainly gets under other teams' skin with, with just how physical he is. You know? And I you know, you know he's gonna be itching to to play in this one after missing the series last year.
1: Absolutely. Um the Hartford Whalers, um, like I love it. I I love when I see it and the Cooper were a great touch. And we're going back a little while here. Um but I, I did want to get your thoughts on on the Carolina Hurricanes leaning into the green. Um in some ways, I'm kind of conflicted because it's like you know, just let the Carolina Hurricanes identity uh, breathe and you know uh, continue you know c- cement that branding in the marketplace. But then the Whalers were just so much fun, and it's part of their their history. Like as far as you understand it, what is the nature of the conversation around? Are we leaning into the the history of this organization too much, or do we just give the people what they want? And listen, it's fun to do Hartford Whaler nights.
2: I think everybody loves it. I mean, I think the players love it. You know, even if, you know, almost none of them ever saw the Whalers play. Um, you know, I think they all love it. <laughs> yeah, little that's true. I'm a little, I'm a little biased because I grew up near, um, you know, near New Haven and then near Springfield, Mass. So I was always within like 30 minutes of the Whalers, which might make you think like I'm aggravated or whatever, that it's still around. But actually, I mean, the Whalers were kind of always a curiosity uh, in those parts, I think, it, it, there was never a rabid mm-hmm. fandom just because the Rangers were so close by. So uh, they were always a curiosity to me and kind of the, I guess, lovable losers might be the best way to put it. So to see it come back out and, you know, see Pucky the whale, which is just like, looks like he come out of like a Carvel cake <laughs> and... uh yeah. And brass bonanza and, and the whole thing. Uh, to me, it's it's really really cool. And then the way they lean into it with the 80s style headbands and uh, and all that. I think it's I think it's fantastic. I, to me, it's really really fun. Some people disagree, um, but I've I've always enjoyed those nights. Uh,
1: I I love it. You know, even if I try to put on my like, okay, get serious about this, and this is a different brand. And blah 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 blah. It's just fun. Yeah, you know, I always catch myself like Merrick. Just calm down. It's sports. It's just fun. They want to put on the wheelers gear for for warm up. and Go ahead. Get out of the way. Just let just let them have fun. Um, okay, my, uh, final one for uh, you. Corey, wh- was, yeah. Yep.
2: Sorry, I was, I was going to say my
1: only regret was that they they
2: played the Devils and the Devils didn't run out the the red and green uh, uniforms. That would have made it perfect. Oh. <laughs>
1: Oh uh, gimme yeah, gimme that old uh nineteen like late eighties New Jersey Devils gear. That just looked that would look fantastic. All right. Uh what do you look for tonight? So Florida Panthers facing off against Carolina Hurricanes. Some good games on the board tonight, but this one has the potential to be the game of the night and it's the first one we're getting at. What do you look for tonight?
2: Yeah, I mean I think it's important for Carolina to win special teams. I mean it's something that their penalty kill has been, you know, the best in the league since since Rod Brendamore took over. Uh, and again, it's right near the top of the league. Uh, but now the power play has been excellent. So it'll be, I'll be curious to see uh, how the game is officiated. First of all, it seems like lately things have been tightening up mm. a bit. Not as, many, uh, not as many penalties, which in the past probably favored the Hurricanes. And right now you kind of wonder, man, you'd really like to see uh, some power play opportunities with the way that's clicking. So to me, I think the game's going to come down yeah. to that. I think at 5-on-5, five five. they're both such good teams at 5-on-5. Five five. Um, and then the goaltending. We'll see. Um I'm assuming Pyotr Kachekov is gonna get the nod. There's no morning skate today, so uh we'll find out a little later. But I'm I'm assuming it'll be him and it'll be uh it, it'll come down to the goaltending, you know. Uh Kachekov has done well uh of late. We'll see how he how he does in uh in what's a really, really big game for Carolina in kind of uh you know, they got the win over Vegas that had mm-hmm. some some really good games against good teams lately. Uh you can really I think make a statement with a win tonight.
1: Uh, real quick, just as a, as an aside, I don't even know if you know the answer to this one. Um, how many play, How many players slash coaches, because I think Rod Brendamore's kid is one of them, play on the Junior Hurricanes? Uh,
2: um, So Brent Burns' son does. Uh, Justin Williams' son does. Um, and then after that, everybody's too young to have kids that are old enough to play. Um, yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> Video coach Chris Huffine's son plays uh, as well. I know he, he plays. I'm trying to think if there's anybody else that I can, uh, can put. Well, Justin Williams' daughter also plays too. I should mention that. Um, but, yeah. Nice. This, every, I mean, there aren't a, a ton of guys with kids that are, you know, even school-aged yet. So uh, I guess sure. I'm just getting old. Um,
1: but <laughs> yeah. Joy, jo- hey, hey, Corey. Corey, don't, don't feel special, bud. Don't feel special, but don't feel special about that one, pal. Uh, you be good. Enjoy Thanks, Tonight's man. matchup. Always good catching up with you. Yep.
2: Thanks, Jim. I was going to say one thing I should mention is there is a, a little bit of a growth here in, uh, in the triangle for high school hockey. It's, it's kind of, uh, you know, thrown together right now, but it's a really interesting, a really interesting thing to see high school hockey start to, uh, maybe gain a little bit of a foothold. My son's going to give it a whirl this year. And, um, Uh, It's it's great great to see hockey growing here. Just great to see hockey growing here. Uh, Always appreciate it, Jeff. I love
1: talking with you. Thanks, pal. Same here. Uh, Corey Lavalette from North State Journal covering off the Carolina Hurricanes. Tonight facing off against the Florida Panthers. Uh, Time now for line change presented by Sports Interaction. Your homegrown sports book, Bet Local, Matt Marchese, on your mind tonight is... The Canucks at the Kraken puck line is Canucks minus one and a
3: half. The Canucks are seven and three straight up in their last 10 overall against the Kraken and four and one in the last five straight up in Seattle. The over has hit in eight of the last nine between these two teams. Vancouver, as we know, has lost three straight while Seattle has picked up points in three
1: straight, including wins in two of those games. Hmm. So uh, I know everyone in Vancouver, the sky is falling. Sky is falling. The team's <laughs> lost three games. In oh a row. no! Well, welcome to the rest of the NHL, <laughs> Vancouver. Everybody else has lost three games. And let's just calm down. Uh, this is going to be. Uh, I think this next little stretch here is is pretty fascinating for the Seattle Kraken. So uh, it's the game tonight, as you mentioned, against the uh, the Vancouver Canucks. Also. Um, They have the Minnesota Wild on the horizon, the Boston Bruins, and then they'll conclude the month of February on the 29th, facing off against the Pittsburgh Penguins. By then, Ron Francis decides the direction of this team for a trade deadline, whether they're keeping and adding or whether they're spelling off. And one of the players I think is fascinating to watch through all of it is Alexander Venberg. If they're going for it, they're keeping him, obviously. Maybe try to re-sign him as well. But if things don't go well against the Canucks, the Wild, the Bruins, the Penguins, and they decide to sell, I do wonder if Fenberg is the big piece that they end up moving and knowing that next season in that spot will probably be Shane Wright. Interesting game tonight, Matty. Seattle Kraken facing off against the Vancouver Canucks. That's Line Change presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sportsbook bet local Panger. Is coming up in moments, and also the uh, author of Mindset First, Dr. Cassidy Preston, former OHLer, as well. St. Mike's Majors, our two is coming up next. Keep it here.
0: Big opinions and in-depth conversations covering the Leafs, Jays, Raptors, and the NFL. The JD Bunkus Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is The Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
1: Welcome back to the program. Welcome to Hour 2, uh, bottom of the hour. I'm going to have a conversation with a gentleman by the name of Dr. Cassidy Preston, mental performance coach. If you're listening on 590 in Toronto or you live in Ontario, you re- may remember watching him play with the St. Mike's Majors. Around 2005 to 2007, somewhere in there. Anyway, his latest book, "Mindset First: Break Free from the Weight of Results, Play with Confidence, and Perform When It Matters Most." Or really, if you're a hockey mom or dad, a uh, great one for your son or daughter. And one of the interesting things that I want to get into with uh, with Dr. Preston here is not setting goals. I know very counterintuitive perhaps for a lot of people but he very much makes the case uh why you shouldn't set specific goals i've kind of always been that way with everything in my life to be honest with you i'll get into this a little bit later on um i've never been someone that said okay next five years i have to be here and in 10 years i got to be there next week i got to be here i've never done that i've just tried to work hard and see where it takes me and here i am talking to you Uh, across the Sportsnet Radio Network uh, and on Sportsnet 360. Uh, Coming up tonight, Darren Pang, by the way, standing by. We're just establishing a connection with Panger. uh, So we'll talk to him. And then at the bottom of the hour, Dr. Preston. Meanwhile, tonight um, should be an intriguing night. We've already mentioned the Panthers and the Carolina Hurricanes. That may be the game of the night. Um, And if you haven't seen the Florida Panthers yet, uh, this team is legit scary and deep at every position and skilled and nasty and tough and have one of the best two-way players in the game, an Alexander Barkov and uh, and Reinhardt, who's filling the net, and Kachuk, who's since the calendar has flipped, has maybe been the best player in the NHL, full stop. Anyhow, that's just one. Uh, the Avalanche face-off against the Tread Red Wings, and if you're like me, you cannot help but think back to the uh, great rivalry of uh, the past generation between these two teams—forever rivals, blood feud. I remember Adam Proto's great book on that blood feud uh, between these two. That—that's one that you might want to have a peek at and, and and read. So many great memories and stories um, about uh, the Carolina, the uh, Colorado Avalanche, and the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, so that one is tonight. You can watch that one on Sportsnet East, Ontario, and Pacific. Also. Uh, the New York Rangers taking on the New Jersey Devils. Uh, We all know what happened last year in the playoffs, right? So we all know how the Rangers went up a pair of games, and then the New Jersey Devils clawed their way back in and ended up beating the New York Rangers. And interesting with that one, we thought that was going to be, okay, the Rangers are starting to wilt, now going down the shady side of the mountain. Uh, Not so fast. They've come back stronger than last season Uh, the Dallas Stars take on the Ottawa Senators got to give it to the Ottawa Senators I know it's tough on the other night against the Florida Panthers uh, but another another game they played really well in like of recent notes uh, and you may say like oh it's empty calorie time and they're flat out of it you know but uh, all you can do is try to play the best with the games that they give you and you got to hand it to the Ottawa Senators I think and it's really tough to play empty calorie games in February Um, But the Ottawa Senators are doing it. They're playing real good hockey tonight. They'll face off against the Dallas Stars. We have the Habs and the Penguins, the Caps, and the Lightning. Is Ovi going to score again? He's up to 16 now. Islanders and Blues. Uh, We have the Bruins and the Flames on Sportsnet 1 and West. Uh, the Vancouver Canucks face off against the Kraken Leafs and Golden Knights. The Preds face off against the Los Angeles Kings. And here to talk to us about the NHL and most specifically the Chicago Blackhawks is our good friend Darren Pang from the NHL on T N T analyst for the Chicago Blackhawks. Panger, how are you today?
0: I'm I'm doing great, Jeff. Thank you very much. I uh, uh had an interesting night last night. We had the Philadelphia Flyers in town uh on T N T and uh yeah, so yep. it's uh yeah, it's it's Fun watching them for sure and fun seeing torts and he and Luke Richardson are old buddies as well. So yeah, all good there.
1: For sure. You know, it's it's like I was just mentioning a couple of seconds ago, I can't watch an Avalanche Red Wings game and not think back to the the old rivalry. And I can't watch I was watching it last night and just seeing, you know, the Flyers logo and the Blackhawks logo and not think about 2010 which was just such a, a, a wonderful a wonderful stanley cup final it was skilled it was nasty it was chris pronger stealing pucks it was a stanley cup winning goal that nobody saw like when you yeah. just as a, as a little trip down memory lane panger what do you still recall from that very interesting 2010 stanley cup final
0: well i, m- I remember that particular point uh, the hawks getting just getting better and better and I think it was uh it was 08 when Rocky Wirtz took over and um you know they put they put the games on TV. I I thought that was even from a guy that that wasn't yeah. there. Uh, my kids grew up in Chicago. They didn't get to see home games. Uh, my son was a double A hockey player. He loved hockey and I remember at one point he wrote Bill Wirtz a, a letter and he, he just asked him why the games weren't on home TV and and uh it, it was it was a <laughs> common thread back then, Jeff and uh but sure. I remember when that happened and and they announced it and they uh, they put the final couple of games on, and then next year they had them on TV. It was just, I tell you what, it, it lit up hot in, in Chicago, and it opened the doors uh, so many different ways. But then they, they signed Marion Hossa, and they, you know, obviously you've got Taves, and you got Kane, and you've got some really good players at that time. And you could tell they were going to become a dynasty rather quickly. And if you remember, um, was it '09? I mean, the Red Wings were still in that, you know, in the West. Oh, yeah. So they were still competing for the Red Wings and then the Red Wings obviously went over to the East and then there was the Vancouver Canucks and Chicago Blackhawks and I was doing a lot of work in Canada. I think on TSN in the studio at that particular point, and uh, the playoffs were something to behold. Mm-hmm. Like when you were getting ready for those playoffs, that was going to be something else. So, um, but then you know, then 2010, that that whole final uh, was interesting because I remember my daughter graduating from high school here in Chicago, and she went to the parade, and and all my buddies that weren't that weren't going to any games because they they just weren't very good for for a large amount of time had just jumped right on the bandwagon, and it was electric here in Chicago yeah. where I am today, and. And yeah, that, those are good memories. And the other thing is, you're right about nobody being able to find the puck. I think Troy Murray was doing radio for for um, for the Blackhawks, and I I think yep. he was the one that saw that puck go in the net. Dave Strader was doing an international call. I remember Strades was. Real close. that mm-hmm. uh, He had that, yep. but it was hard to see that puck going in the net, and and even the players weren't convinced when when uh, Patrick Kane was celebrating going all the way down <laughs> the ice. <laughs> he, the guys were yeah. kind of like, ah, I'm not sure yet, you know. But you know, goal scorers know where that where the puck <laughs> is, and it, somehow it got by Michael Lane yeah. there.
1: I uh, I remember talking to Glenn Healy about it, and Heals was working between the benches. And I remember asking him, "What's the nastiest Stanley Cup final you've ever been part of?" And he said, "Without a doubt, 2010 Chicago Philadelphia." He said it was nasty between the benches. I had to make sure I had my had my thumb on the mute button in between the benches. That's how <laughs> that's how nasty it was uh, between the two. So to this current edition now, of the Chicago Blackhawks, like, w- hey Jeff. Well, I know, right? That? Like, that's let, the best let best get stuff ever right there. Huh? That well, that that's for that's for the the password protected internet sites, uh, the uh, the the B stream as it were. You pay a nine ninety five to hear what the what the players are actually saying, which should surprise nobody, by the way. But that one was, that one was particularly nasty, and uh, on 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 both sides there are some legendary chirpers, by the way. On, on both yeah. sides and maybe Chicago just completely took the took the cake in that one. There was some there were some doozies. Okay. So the new edition of the Chicago Blackhawks, we all understand what the score is. We all understand how the rebuild goes and how these things yeah. work. Now a lot of conversation revolves around Connor Bedard. And I do want to talk to you about Bedard. But before we get there, uh, it's hard not to watch Bedard when he plays. I get it. But man do I love watching Alex Vlasic. Do you have some time or a couple of thoughts on Alex Vlasic, who, you know, is, I mean, everybody in Chicago is in the shadows when, when Bernard is playing, do you have a thought or two on Alex Vlasic?
0: Phenomenal. I mean, you know, I come here in the off season, um, not really knowing the prospect pool that well. In fact, I signed to return back to Chicago before they got the first overall pick. And, uh, then, you know, lo and mm. behold, they get the first overall pick. And next thing you know, I'm here at a place called the salt shed, uh, during the draft, and I'm interviewing Connor Bedard uh, several hundred miles away, but the the, the other part of it was wh- what's the strength going forward of the Chicago Blackhawks, and uh, it didn't take long before I saw uh, you mentioned Alex Vlasic, who's terrific, and then Del Mastro was on the uh, Canadian uh, World Junior team yep. with uh, with Allen, um, you've got a kid named Isaac Phillips that's up right now. I, the, the prospect yeah. pool on the back end is very, very good. Uh, big boys too, not nothing, nothing shy. Louis Crevier's uh, six foot a right hand shot. He played for Patrick Watt in Quebec City. He's, you know, they, these guys are going to take a little bit of time. The one that's ahead of everybody is Alex Blastic, and, and he and Seth Jones have been the tandem that goes up against the other team's best. Um, he's got great a yeah. great stick, a great mind, great composure. Um, he's, um, yeah, he's, he's far ahead of, I mean, where I thought he was going to be. Not that that means much because I didn't see him, you know, developing, but I think that, uh, uh, that's a big that's a big part of it because i i thought you know philip kurashev on the forward lucas reichel who just got sent down mm-hmm. um i've been really impressed with kurashev unfortunately reichel needs to go down and, and kind of build his confidence but uh, as far as last is concerned he's right here he's a he's a he's a now player and uh and all the coaches on the yep. other team they'll always peek their head o- out in the hallways and just ask he's the one that i mean they ask about Connor bedard but they see Connor bedard they know what Connor bedard is going to do instinctively sure. and you know Alex Vlasic doesn't just stand out and you go oh my god number 72 uh, but but man when you watch him closely he does everything really well <laughs> yeah Every, everything really well
1: yeah you, you, you mentioned Isaac Phillips I can't let that one go by without mentioning that he played uh, in the OJHL with uh, in, in my hometown Ghost Oval Spirits yeah. uh, Isaac Phillips I can I will I will never live it down if I hear Isaac Phillips name and not mention my hometown <laughs> in the uh, this Oval Spirit, good the Soval Spirits the OJHL work, yeah. okay Thank you. You know, hey, listen, yeah, he you gotta be able to show your face downtown, right? He Panger mentioned Isaac Phillips and you didn't even mention the Stovall Spirit. Jeez, what's wrong with you, Merrick? Um what what have you seen? I mean, there's been you know a stretch there where he was injured, but how have you seen Condor Bedard from the beginning of the season in October to late in February now?
0: Really good question. Um boy, that last night's game I thought he was tremendous. I mean, if anybody watched the game against yeah, Philadelphia, he he got every time he got the puck i mean he wanted to be a difference maker he went through the neutral zone and dissected their their formation in the neutral zone really really well um man uh from the beginning to now oof, he hasn't had many drop offs jeff uh, he's uh, mm-hmm. uh his confidence to hold on to the puck his confidence on the power play um getting better on the face off dot uh maybe you know maybe the improvement like every young player is finding out uh, about the other players how I remember talking about Ryan O'Reilly. He went head to head with Ryan O'Reilly, and afterwards, he he asked yeah. me about him, and I said he's got a. I mean, you know, this. The, let's just say the, the the length of this of the stick of both guys. Ryan O'Reilly is probably about a 125 flex, and Connor Bedard is probably yep. 70 and probably six inches longer. <laughs> and, and on the face he's like, man, they're yeah. strong. He's strong on the faceoffs. He's strong on his stick. And just the little things that I'm sure he's noticed with a lot of players going into a corner, you know, what players are going to really lean on your stick, but he's winning more and more puck battles, the 50, 50 battles. I think that might be the one area mm. that I would say has been greatly approved on. And that's just probably, that's research, that's playing some teams over and over again. And that's just, just knowing the league. I mean, he's walked into several buildings, never been in the building before. Never knew, you don't even know which way to go when you come off the team bus. Is it this way or is it this way? You know, and, and so you can imagine yeah. what that's like for anybody, but being a, an 18-year-old kid. But the other part about him, Jeff, that I really enjoyed is his calmness under fire is exceptional. He's getting more familiar with everybody. He's yep. getting more comfortable with people. And, uh, and I, I like it. He gives it to me. He, he'll give it to me every, every once in a while. I told him I gave up seven at Madison Square Garden. I'm looking around saying, This is a great build, and I <laughs> gave up seven here. He kind of he looked around and he goes, Did you ever play a good game? He says, So he's, he's got a great sense of humor. I've, oh, man. I really enjoyed being around The players love him to uh, death, and, uh, and, and he's a hard yeah. worker. He's not floating through this whatsoever. He's really setting a great example for his future.
1: You know, I really thought one of the great signings this year, um, uh, not just for the team, but also for Conor Bedard, was Nick Foligno. Uh, do you have a couple of words or a couple of thoughts on what Nick Felino means um, to that player specifically? I mean, you've seen plenty of, like, you've been around hockey for a long time. You've seen some young players come into the league and they've just sort of been left to the wolves. Okay, kid, you're a pro now. Go try to figure yeah. it out. Oh, and play hockey every couple of nights as well. Like, Do you have a thought or two on what Nick Felino means uh, to Conor Bedard?
0: Means the world right now. I and I agree with you. There are a lot of young players that come in, and 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 they just you know everybody's fighting for their own jobs, and and the care for, for somebody uh, isn't always there. It is certainly there. Um, and it, and it shows you know you know where Nick Felino's come from with his dad and and how he's been brought up and how he's been yep. raised i mean he's he's sort of he's not only just a you know a mentor to him but he's he's kind of like a, a coach as well and a direct director of player development as well he kind of does it all but if you saw the clip last night we had Connor Bedard Mike for our TNT game last night and uh, yep. on the bench at one point and Nick Foligno was kind of standing still on the blue line and it looked like he was going to make a play. And Connor came and picked the puck off and, and went in and shot it. And they get on the bench and they go through a little, a little, you know, like, uh, mix as um, Hey, you know, I we we can do a little give and go. I'm not sure exactly what he said, but uh but Connor said something like, "Well, you're kind of slow right there." And then they come back at it, and, and Nick <laughs> gives it to him. And, you know, I, and I thought that was fantastic. Uh, you know, uh, I didn't mean slow, slow. I meant at, at that yeah. time you were slow right there. But uh, you know, I th- I think all in all, Nick, um, Nick, Jason Dickinson. I mean, you know, he's still not yet in the prime yeah. of his career. That's a great sign. and, and also Peter Mrazek. I mean, these are three good really good character guys and mentors for these guys and hard-working guys and that's the key at, at this type of the development too jeff is you can't bring in guys that are no no offense but they can't be bring in floaters or guys that are bad apples i mean it's it's, it's it just doesn't yeah. work you've got to bring in the guys that got good heart come to the rink early they work hard they've got a good attitude and they don't drag everybody down and i think that's what the hawks have done here with this core
1: uh panger i know you were working the uh, the hawks and the flyers game last night did you get a peek at all a little bit later on at what austin matthews did against the coyotes last night
0: yeah i did in uh, in arizona too which is which is really great because i remember yeah. talking to i remember talking to austin about him going there as as a you know as a kid and um, i was there for four years when 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 wayne was the coach of the of the uh, coyotes and um, and there was a lot of great players at that time. They were maybe at the end of their career, but I, I know that Austin watched those guys. I mean, I think JR was there, and Mike yep. Ricci, and Nedved, and uh, I think Mike Comrie was there, and Brett Hull was there. And I mean, you go down the list of some of these guys that were influential in, in, in these young guys' uh, lives. And, and so, yeah, I did see that. I thought it was fantastic. That, that move that he makes on the right, so to the goalie's left, where it looks like he's passing it to the back yep. door, and he turns his yes. hands over, I don't know yes. how many times he's done that and the goaltenders just they're just don't have their stick on the ice they're already cheating one way and he knows that his instincts are so good um it would be fun playing mm-hmm. against him but man you'd look silly a lot of times playing against him too because he's just he out thinks you and that's what makes him an amazing player besides his shot and his you know his ability and his skill level
1: Yeah, he's. uh, I mean, we're Elliot and I were talking about this in the first hour. You know, at at what point, you know, do the think pieces start? About at what point does Austin Matthews catch Alexander Ovechkin? We've already sort of flown past the Gretzky record with Ovechkin. Now it's like, okay, so what does Matthews need to catch Ovechkin here? And we'll see where that race uh, and ends up eventually. The other thing uh, from this week, I wanted to get your get your your quick thoughts on because you've seen. In your days, like some dynamic goals by, by, you know, all the greats of a number of generations. Um, but we saw a beauty from Quentin Byfield, the Los Angeles Kings, the other night against the Columbus Blue Jackets, where he just undresses, you know, not a third-pairing defenseman, but Zach Borensky, a first-pairing defenseman here. Uh, and there's, there's just so much to the goal itself and so much to the player itself. Do you have a thought on what we saw from one of the best young, large talents uh, in the game, Quentin Byfield?
0: yeah he's he, he, i like the way that they've developed him too I, I like the fact that you know they've taken their time with him. they put him with kopitar they've uh they've, they've taught him the hard lessons and and todd mcclellan uh deserves an awful lot of credit with his coaching staff and in because that's not easy either the coach the coaches are there to win and and uh, you know you've got a, yeah. a young phenomenal big bodied player um it's not like the way kopitar jumped into their lineup it, it's uh it's not the, like the way you know Sasha Barkov jumped into Florida's lineup. It's taken him a little bit more time, and they've been patient, and they haven't put him in a bad spot. Uh, big fella, good hands, good personality. Um, yeah, that's yeah, that's really. Uh, that's really good to see. They need that. There's going to be a time where Anshay Kopradar is not yeah. there anymore. And there's going to be a time where Pierre-Luc Dubois, I mean, he's gone through his inconsistencies already. They're going to need another big, powerful guy in there uh, to be a, you know in the number one and number two hole for the Los Angeles Kings. And I, I like being around him. I think he's a really great kid. And uh, he's going to be a terrific player.
1: He looks fantastic. Um, and you're always yeah. fantastic. Pango, thanks as always for stopping by. Much appreciated, my friend. You be well.
0: I will. Thank you very much. Take care, Jeff.
1: There is uh, the great Darren Pang from the NHL on TNT, also, analyst for the Chicago Blackhawks, and someone who, on a consistent basis, gets a ringside seat to watch Connor Bedard. And also Alex Flasik. I know I'm going on a lot about Flasik, but the guy's really good. Trust me, trust me, trust me. If you haven't seen uh, the Blackhawks this year. Uh, Matt Marchese Award again here. Um, a couple of things uh, for tonight, Matty. Tonight's an interesting uh, interesting night around the NHL uh, with a number of intriguing games. And you mentioned the Seattle Kraken facing off against the Vancouver Canucks in the first hour. Um, I really do believe that the next four games are going to dictate which way the Kraken go on the season. Uh, and I do wonder about Alexander Venberg and whether he ends up getting to market if things don't go well uh, in these next four games for the Seattle Kraken. Uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning taking on the Washington Capitals, um, and we'll see if Ovechkin can score again. It it seemed as if you know we uh, <laughs> we had a harsh conversation a couple of weeks ago about about uh, Ovechkin uh, here on the program, and um, you know it was. was a lot of talk about not so much you know is is he washed because i think it's the fool that says like yeah ovechkin's done and uh it's over but you know there's a, a lot of conversation about what he needs to do away from the rink to help him at the rink and it seems as if you know the moment we finish that conversation all of a sudden ovechkin just started filling the net and you know the last game he scores two he's now he's up to 16 and we're no longer wondering about the Gretzky race now it's back to oh yeah it's was it 58 or 56 uh, for Ovechkin he'll get there eventually are we back on the Ovechkin train now that he's scored for a for a couple of weeks in a row here
3: yeah he's got eight goals in his last eight games I guess we are back on that conversation like it's fun but it's funny though you you can
1: you can you you can say it was me and Tarek Al-Bashir that got him (laughs) going again because we just
3: blasted him here on the show I would take credit for that for sure if i had said that no i i it it is funny though but what have you always said jeff and it's it's the it's the constant conversation like the best goal scorers are still streaky like that's how that's how yeah all All goal goal scorers scorers are streaky (laughs) so that's just the way that this thing works and and i i think there's there's also this adjustment here for alex ovechkin because there's not, you know, he doesn't have an elite passer like he had with Nicholas Backstrom in the lineup anymore. Like, when he plays with Dylan Strom, Dylan Strom's a shooter. Like, he's not a pass-first type of guy. So, there's adjustments that have to be made here. And not that he had Nicholas Backstrom last year for a bulk of the season either, yeah. but I, I, there's adjusting here for Alex Ovechkin. There's also this age thing that he's got to figure out a different way to play. And, and he's, you know, he is a step slower, maybe, and, and certainly playing a different style. I think there's a lot that goes into it, but if there's anybody that can get hot because they have a shot like he does and, and on the power play he can have a lot of success, which he has had throughout his career, that's going to be a guy that can yeah. do it. It's, it's, you know, the, we've always had the conversation about the guys who, you know when, when they're younger in their career and they have so much speed, when the legs start to go, that's a huge adjustment for these guys. Whereas a guy like Ovechkin, yes, he has relied on speed at times, but he scores a lot of his goals from shooting positions on the outside. Like that, or in the slot. Like that's how Alex Ovechkin scores a lot of his goals. So yeah. I think for a guy like that, just making that career adjustment and understanding like this is the player I am now, and who I have to be mm-hmm. in order to get this record. I think he's kind of there right now. Would you be shocked that if Alex Ovechkin finished the year with, you know, thirty thirty two goals? Like I wouldn't be shocked at this point.
1: Uh, I wouldn't I, I think the the most interesting thing about the Washington Capitals right now is the decision that Brian McClellan has, and that is what's more important. Is it uh, the team or the chase? right? And I, I think you and I have talked about this a, a couple of different times that I've always been of the belief. That no matter what or where they are in the standings or, you know, what's happening with, you know, TJ Oshie and John Carlson, um, that this is always going to be a team that provides the best environment for Alex Ovechkin to to chase Gretzky almost to the detriment of the team itself. Almost as if, you know, the the chase has become more important to the Capitals organization um, than the team and their performance and then their success. I don't know if I feel that way anymore. Like, I really do wonder if, if Brian McClellan's looking at this and saying, you know what, for the good of the team, we can't continue to try to hot shot this thing so Ovechkin gets the record. Is it, does it mean that it's going to take a little bit longer for Ovechkin to get there? Probably. But I do wonder if, and maybe this trade deadline, we start to see the beginnings of it, the Washington Capitals start to look at the future of the team, and not just the future of the chase. Agree disagree.
3: I I I agree and I think it's kind of twofold here like and and this was a while ago. This is not like it was yesterday, but I wonder if the conversation would have been different about, you know, worrying about the chase had the Washington Capitals not won a Stanley Cup in 2018. Like would would they have tried to structure this thing a little bit differently? Had they not won in 2018, like, would we see a, a, an entirely different Washington Capitals roster? Or are they not that they're skating on the mm. success of 2018, but are they just saying, you know what, we've been competitive. We do have a cup. Um, we can maybe, you know, wait another year or whatever. Maybe that's a little bit, you know, too far in the weeds. But I will say this. I think if you're Washington, you've seen other stories around the league, like look no further than the Philadelphia Flyers. Everybody thought they weren't going to be very good this year. Well, guess what? They've been pretty darn good. And you can be competitive while still surrounding players, still surrounding Ovechkin with players that can help him get to that record. And you can do that fairly quickly. I mean, you have to draft well and you have to develop young players, but there's guys in the system that they can have that can come up. You can trade veteran guys for younger assets, and those guys can come up and be you know a big part of getting Alex Ovechkin to that to that goal record. So I think it's kind of twofold here in that I think you can see them make those adjustments, but I think you also can see them mm-hmm. be competitive and, and still have good players around Ovechkin next year.
1: Uh, the Arizona coyotes last night lost comma again, <laughs> uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs. That is now 11 losses in a row for the Arizona coyotes. And you remember at the beginning of the season where we all kind of said, and I'm guilty of this too. You know what? I don't think Arizona is going to be as bad as a lot of people think. I put my hand up, too. Well, a lot of people were right. (laughs) A lot of people were right. (laughs) Yeah, I was wrong. You know, what's what's the line? Uh, The haters said I couldn't do it, and good on the haters. Good prediction. (laughs) Well done. Couldn't do it. Uh, Sometimes people say, they're not going to be very good. Yeah, you know what? Good call. Good call. This is a team that has had uh, a lot of challenges and has, you know, a lot of decisions here. Like, we all know about what's happening off the ice. You know, it's funny. I was talking to someone the other day. This, again, this is not a report. This is just me and Maddie shooting the breeze on a Thursday afternoon. Yeah, everybody relax. I had a conversation with some of the – I know, yeah, yeah. That's okay. I had to get, get radioed as part of the business. Um, had someone uh, I was talking with on Monday afternoon, you know, wonder if the Arizona Coyotes could go back to Glendale.
3: Oh, God. At this point,
1: I oh, listen. I, I know. listen. If, if they're know. trying to exhaust all possibilities to stay there, and they don't want to throw the keys on the table and hand it over, and then uh, have the league, you know, uh, move the team to Salt Lake City, and then start to, you know, look to find another expansion situation to get the Arizona market back in the mix for the NHL, like wouldn't you? Wouldn't you make sure that you've exhausted? Every, like I, we all know the bad blood, and the acrimony, and the. You know non-payments <laughs> that's uh, that happened over the years between the Arizona coyotes with this ownership and and Glendale. But I just thought it was interesting because I hadn't considered that for one second. That do I think that it happens? No. But even the fact that the conversation is out there is pretty revealing. I feel like there might be
3: a better chance that the team ends up on Mars than back in Glendale only because of that bad blood <laughs> and so many things that we... Like, Jeff, I was... I, I started out in this yeah, business. But- I started out in this business and we were talking about Arizona or at that point they were Phoenix. And the city of Glendale and all this—I remember having the same reporter on all the time on primetime sports. I remember talking about the Goldwater Institute. I remember talking about Judge Redfield yeah, T. Bomb. Are. We still like all of these yeah, things. That's
1: right. I just the bow tie.
3: You know, it, it, to me, it's like you got you gotta just—it's it, done. It, it's done. This this, do, this isn't working right now in this moment, and I think we just need to look at the situation and say. Mm. If you're the NHL, there's a market that's waiting for us. And there's an owner that has lots of money. And they have the plan for an arena. And they have all of these things. Can we just move on? Because you know what? Like, this is bad for... It's not only bad for the league. Like, the fact that they're playing out of a 5,000-seat arena is ridiculous. But also, like, this is this has been something that's been going on for so long. And I can't imagine the players, which I I know they don't, love this either. Like, they want to be in an NHL facility no, they because they're NHL players. This is the National League, as everyone likes to say. Not the OHL, not the WHL. But anyway, it is, a, it is an interesting thought process because, like you said, if they are going to try and exhaust all options, this is still possibly there, which is
1: wild to think that it's still possibly there. I know. But I, I always think back to the, uh, the great line from one of the shadiest people in the history of sports but it's a line that always sticks with me and it's so completely true and it comes from one of the maybe the most despised figures in the history of all sports that is don king legendary boxing promoter who uh once said something along the lines of where there's money there's understanding So we can talk all we want about bad blood and acrimony and insults and outrage and um, unpaid bills where there's money, there's understanding. Yep. I've never forgotten that one. One of the great lines about, well, in this case, sports, but really life in general. Brought to you by one of the more (laughs) intriguing, let's just say, to be kind, People in all of sports mm-hmm. history. Uh, on that, we'll wrap. I'm uh, going to come back and talk to Dr. Cassidy Preston. Maddie, before I let you go, were you mm. ever a goal setter? When you were young and were you playing hockey and you had big visions, but what you're going to did you set goals? Were you a goal setter in your mind? No, never good enough to be a goal setter, pal. I was uh,
3: like, just, just, <laughs> just go and try and do the job as best as you can, you know, give an effort, and <laughs> uh, you know, talent does take you to a certain point, and that was fine. But yeah, no, not a goal. Uh, honestly, uh, like it was never really a thought, like because yeah. I never knew what my abilities were in comparison to everybody else. Because it changed so much year over year, so I was just like, no, nah, that that right. I'm not going to do that. Uh, I'm just going to see where the skill takes me. How and networking. now I'm here, yeah,
1: and now well, I'm here. Uh, Oh, joy, you get to talk to me for a living. (laughs) Uh, Dr. Cassidy Preston is going to stop by the program here in a couple of seconds. Mental performance coach, uh, who is the author of Mindset First. Uh, If you're a hockey parent, I strongly suggest you pick this up for your son or daughter. Uh, break free from the weight of results, play with confidence, and perform when it matters most. Your brain as an integral piece of your equipment. Uh, Dr. Cassidy Preston, coming up in a couple of moments across the Sportsnet Radio Network simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and wherever you get your podcasts. Keep it here.
0: Covering the Raptors in depth like no one else. The Raptors Show with Will Lou. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
1: I want to encourage you, if you have a uh, son or daughter who plays hockey, uh, to check out and pick up a book by the name of Mindset First. Break free from the weight of results, play with confidence, and perform when it matters most. Uh, written by mental performance coach Dr. Cassidy Preston, who joins me now to talk about, amongst other things, goals and results, but plenty before we get there. Uh, Dr. Preston, thanks so much for joining me today. How are you?
4: I'm doing well. Great to be on, uh, Jeff. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here and, and, and happy to uh, dive into the book and anything else uh, related to hockey and mindset.
1: Well, the first, the first thing that jumped out at me, I'm like, hey, I think that way. But I think about this way with my career, and that is you know, setting goals, which I have never done. i have always just one of these people that have said to myself, I'm going to roll out of bed, I'm going to do my best, I'm going to work hard. And wherever this life world takes me, well, that's where I end up. But before we get there... How did you get, because I remember watching you playing St. Mike's majors uh, once upon a time, a million years ago, uh, back around 2005, 2006, played at the Buzzers as well. How did you get from there to here?
4: Yeah, I was, um, I, I, I kind of went through it the long, hard way where I was like, the mental game was so important for me, but I struggled with it so much. And that's why it became even more important. Yeah. And get this big burning desire, like, Well, how can I crack the code? How can I find a way for my own self and my own career and life outside of sport as well to just consistently show up at my best day in, day out? And so that's why I went to school, did my PhD, learned from all kinds of different experts. I'm also in the field and read lots of books and start working with athletes and people to create my own system and a way to like connect with people and guide them so they can have personalized practical tools and start fighting off because that main thing is that allure the results. When you wake up every day, like which a lot of hockey players do and people mm-hmm. do, and we're so obsessed with the results, that can create actually a lot of problems. And it's often the default for a lot of people in our culture and especially in hockey where, you know, we pride ourselves on the results. Winning does matter, but can we have a mindset sure. that's more effective and consistent? And that's what uh, the book gets into and and all the work and the learning I did and now the work I get to do with athletes
1: uh, comes from. You see, I find it one of the most fascinating areas of sport. And uh, one of the reasons why I find it so intriguing is you're using your mind to discuss your mind. It's almost as if, you know, I've always wondered how can a subject be the object of its own inquiry? Yet here we are. And I read your book and my 12 year old son has started to read it as well. And I say to myself, like, this is it's, its kind of incredible how you can, you know, use your brain to help your brain help you in something outside of your brain that is really also part of your brain and then synthesize it and put it all into a book. So my first question is how? Because the editing for something like this must be painful.
4: Yeah, it's it was a it's a long process of making. I've always wanted to write a book, but there's a difference between wanting to write a book about mindset and being able to do an effective, concise one that does the work justice and people can read it and take actionable steps and and learn and understand. And when we think about mindset, and it's often this very, you know, fluffy, duffy kind of vague thing, and we want to make it more practical yeah. and 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 when you, and even as you lay, it's like, we're thinking about our thinking and it's like, it creates all these funny paradoxes <laughs> that um, yeah, yes. it can be so difficult. Yes. And, and one of the cool ways that I like to explain it to you, especially people that are like, um, you know, not sure they're, they're very much looking at it like, oh, mindset. Like, I don't get mindset. Just go and take action. Just go and do the work and get better. And when you do that, that does serve. And that's actually a big part of mindset and i'll i'll tell those people often like sure mindset is like 80 to 90 percent just about taking action but what about the 10 to 15 percent and that's where our mind mm-hmm. our thoughts our feelings our actions start to get tethered they get they're not there's a lack of alignment and when you have that lack of alignment now what's going to happen you're going to have a hard time taking action And if you're not taking action well now you start getting to this downward spiral and so at some point, mm. it becomes important to learn to look at our mind, or our thoughts, our feelings, and untangle it. And so what are the strategies and the ways that we can do that so we can get alignment? And now we can go back, take an action, build momentum, you know, which also serves and helps our mindset in and of itself. So that's one of the kind of important fundamental ways of like, it is not easy to work on or talk about, let alone write a book, but it's been a long time yeah. coming from my own personal journey through the education, through all these other great experts, you know, outside of even the educational world, like Todd Herman and John Demartini. Um, and then actually living it day in, day out, applying it with um, athletes and finding a way of like, okay, this is what works. This is, I take this, all these concepts, mm-hmm. do this. This is what's going to help an athlete get it and get it quickly.
1: Okay. So let's, let's walk through a scenario here. So a young athlete comes to you maybe it's a young athlete so it's it's their parent that comes to you and says uh read your book or this book was recommended to me uh i'm interested in my son or daughter working with you reading the book going through all the all the various steps like what is what is the first of all what is mindset first and then sort of what is the process you walk through this young athlete with yeah
4: so there's a couple ways to look at it if um, and I'll get into what mindset first is because that's one of the foundational pieces we got to and we work to help people make the shift and make a shift or flip the switch and how they approach life or how they approach sport and their and their mental game. But the the general process is we get them the right fit and the coach and we'll do like, hey, let's just make sure they're comfortable for sharing because a lot of times people like they don't want to share. Oh yeah, I have doubt and they won't admit it. And if we don't aware of our thoughts yeah. and our feelings, then we can't work on it. And we use an assessment, which is self assess. Um, And I talk about a little bit in the book where we break down, we make it more clear what we're working on. We know what the skills are, the seven skills we talk about and the blocks that then are the limiting beliefs that then hold those skills back. And then, and we create a plan like, okay, well let's go tackle the top ones. And we've got four fundamental strategies that help us tackle, but the root or the foundation of all of them as you alluded to is the principle of mindset first, which means if you show up any day, at work or in, you know, in sport, and your priority, the main thing you focus on and uh, give your attention to and feel that matters most, and you make this as a choice, and most people don't make it as a choice, it's just kind of automatic, my choice is results, mm-hmm. the bottom line, you know, climbing the ladder, getting the praise, you know, achieving my goals. And when that is your priority, well, then your mindset is more likely to suffer. You're going to be stressed, frustrated, worried about results. Now, when things are good, things are good. But then when adversity comes up or pressures or expectations, it weighs on us. So the idea is to flip it because it's very backwards to be like, okay, well, focus on results. So focus on what I'm going to do and then focus on who I'm going to be and why I'm doing it. No, it actually works better and makes a lot of sense to focus first, start from the inside, start from our mindset. Who do I want to be? How do I want to show up today? How am I going to approach the mm-hmm. game or my practice or my life or those things and why am i approaching it that way And when we get clarity on the being all right this is who i'm going to be now we can flow from there this is what i do and this leads to the results the results they matter it's not that they don't matter it's not that we don't have goals and intentions but mm-hmm. if you make it the priority generally it's going to be a lot harder to have a consistent strong mental game and so the way that then i like to do it is like well let's flip it's your choice you get to choose which one's your priority and if you can start choosing this day in, day out, that's what I call it, like the realm of the super elite. Because that's what the best athletes do. They mm-hmm. prioritize how they play day in, day out. They don't get affected and have an outside-in approach, which, how is the external world affecting my inside world? No, no, they're clear on who they want to mm-hmm. be. Like a pro athlete, one of them, he used the words like, what's my DNA as a basketball player? Right, that was not hockey, but um a great example yeah. of like, you want to have very clear in his mind the intention this is who i am and how i show up that's his priority day in day out not whether the results they're gonna there's gonna be some level of variance there and you actually have less variance mm-hmm. the more clarity you get on who you're being so that's um you know that's the first part And just showing people that and then coaching them through it and then creating the the strategies mm-hmm. like an alter ego identity work reset routine that uses acceptance commitment that helps reinforce it because a lot of this, I'll say, I feel like is common sense. People hear it, they're like, yeah, that makes sense. Let's do that. But is it common practice? And it's not often because of the allure of results, because our society just glorifies the, the bottom line and, and the external things. Because they do matter, but the approach really matters from an individual level.
1: See, this is fascinating. Um, I, I want to get to goals here in, in a couple of seconds. But, you know, one of the ways that I've always sort of looked at elite athletes, and I'll take the example of Carey Price. Um, one of the things I always loved and respected about Carey Price is after a game, when he's interviewed, you have no way of telling whether the Montreal Canadiens won that game or lost that game. That I always look at Price's interviews and say, that is a successful athlete and someone that's really comfortable in his skin. And he's not going to let the highs too high and the lows too low peaks and valleys. We've all been, been through all of that, but I was always impressed that you could never tell whether price was victorious or lost the game that he was in. What do you look for in athletes after competition? Yeah,
4: a hundred percent. That's a lot what I'm looking for. And one of the ways that I like to look at is when I see somebody get really frustrated. Um, and it's it's OK to get frustrated because it's not like, you know, not everyone's going to have the exact mindset that Carrie Price has and has gone through the same things in the same perspective. Yeah. But when we consistently get frustrated and particularly in game, like and the frustrations coming out in game um, and again, we're human. It's not that it's never going to happen. But when those frustrations mm. come or we get deflated in those, you we start wearing those emotions on your sleeve in a way that they'll actually hurt you. But what that tells me is one, you're having a hard time accepting the situation. And a common question, which is like a, actually not a helpful question is like, well, how can I get better at accepting it? And how can I deal with the adversities and the the things not going my way? Well, the solution is actually, I call it pre-acceptance. So um, if someone's struggling, if a goalie lets in a few goals and now they're slamming their stick, well, that tells me one, they're not doing post-acceptance. The goal against happened, they're not accepting it, learning from it, letting it go moving forward. But that also tells me they probably didn't do pre-acceptance very well, meaning before the game started, there's a range of results. And most people don't get that. They think like, well, yes, there's a range of results, but I need to, have to, should achieve this. And then when you don't, you don't accept it very well and you get derailed and deflated. And so I'll use a lot, like the word, to me, the principle of acceptance is a superpower. And I say that because especially in the hockey world and and a lot of contexts, but we like, downplay and teach almost the opposite of acceptance. It's how often this is a must win game. Like, does that mean the other games it was optional to win? (laughs) Like, Like the goal and the intent is always to win. And so you know, the, the mindset really matters. And it's taking a critical lens to the language that we use. And I've, like a lot of our athletes, some of them are starting yeah. to get closer to playoffs or, you know, the, the crunch time. And it's like, oh, and the coaches and the environment, and we're making it seem way bigger than it is. And it's like, you no, know, our ability to zoom out and have a, a healthy lens to pre accept the range. Well, now that athlete's going to be more free. And then they'll also be less reactionary if things don't go their way. But being more free will allow them to play better. That's why Kerry Price had a great mental game as well. From a like he played well and his consistency when he if he was doing that. And again, mm-hmm. I've never worked with Kerry, so I can't overly speak to to his mindset. But the point there is that if he's post accepting well, that probably tells me he's pre accepting mm-hmm. pretty good too. And so, yeah, so that, pretty- that's definitely one of the big things I look for.
1: Pre-acceptance is interesting because I'm just hearing every coach that's either listening or watching right now saying, no, 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 I want my athletes uh, before games only to think about all the things they're going to do well and think about winning and their positions and all the things they're going to they're, they're do well. But what you're saying is you need to prepare yourself for a range of different options here. Am I, am I, am I hearing you right? Yeah, 100%. And a, and
4: a couple of good ways to look at it would be, you know, from a tangible coaching even standpoint is like, uh, and Todd calls it, the positive power of a negative script. Let's prepare. What if we get down to nothing? How will we respond? So having the forethought of that, we're not planning to go down to nothing, but having the forethought of that, yeah. then if it happens, because <laughs> it will happen at some point, and when it happens at some yeah. point, you'll be more likely to respond They'll effectively yeah and you'll be it's guaranteed you'll be more resilient and and you won't be as frustrated and turn on each other and get down and deflated or whatever you know their their potential responses and then the other way that it does is it helps them free them up to commit so i use acceptance commitment as this one two punch because often when we talk about acceptance people are like no no i don't want to lose my competitive fire i i can't accept losing like i can't accept that we might lose i we need to win and i won't be as you know fiery Whereas I'll challenge that in the sense of, first and foremost, you don't lose it. Acceptance just means, like, it's the reality. <laughs> like, we're not living in this fantasy world. I was like, oh, yeah, well, there's no chance. Like, no, you might lose the game. Like, you might lose. You might not score. I do yeah. this with a, a forward, and it's really good for a four thousand that hasn't scored in a while. And they feel like they need to score, have to score. We need to do this. And I'm like, well, if you really need to score, maybe you shouldn't be playing hockey. <laughs> it's like, And I don't want them to quit. I was like, the reality is you might yeah. not score next game. And so if you can't accept the range, hockey's not for you. If a coach, you can't accept you might lose the next game as a, as a reality of the situation, then maybe you shouldn't be coaching. <laughs> like, it's I'm not yeah. saying tolerate it. I'm not saying set that as a standard, but we need to learn to process and manage how we interact or think about the external world and the results. And then when we can accept and let go of that and the weight of that, it frees them up right? It's like, okay, let go. I might not score. Screw it. Well, now, how do I want to play? Now you can get way better at committing. And that's where you you can commit to what? Having that killer instinct, that competitive fire. And that can go way better because you used acceptance. Mm -hmm. But it's, and people get commitment, but often they'll get commitment about commitment to results. No, no, I'm talking about commitment to how you're going to play, to your game plan, to your process, which for some athletes isn't well-defined either. But you won't commit well to your game and your process if you have the weight of results on your, mm. on your mind, in the back, on weighing on you. And so we can clear that. We can accept and let that go. Well, now you're going to get way better at committing, and your team will be dialed in day in, day out. They're more unfazed, especially if you're prepared for the various ranges of results. Mm. So, yeah, that would be like a practical way of how to apply that.
1: Uh, I I just love it. It reminds me of uh, something I read years ago. I can't remember where I read it, but the the, the one thing always stuck with me was um, someone saying, if you must win, you can't win. And just hearing you talk about this and write about this in Mindset First really, really finds a home with me. Um, Listen, unfortunately, we're up against the clock here. Um, Dr. Preston, thanks so much for stopping by. Um, The book is, uh, first of all, where is the book available, Mindset First? Amazon.
4: Just go to your any Amazon account, Perfect. and uh, you can get a hold of it, and uh, ships out pretty quick.
1: It's awesome. Uh, highly recommend that Dr. Cassidy Preston has been my guest, uh, mental performance coach, author of Mindset First. Thank you so much for this, Cassidy. Much appreciated. We'll uh, we'll catch up down the road.
4: Yeah, sounds good. Thanks so much for having me
1: on. Thanks, Jeff. There is uh, Dr. Cassidy Preston. This is a real. It gets a fascinating, especially if you have a young athlete uh, in your family. You're a hockey parent. Basketball, parent, football, baseball, whatever it is. This is uh, an invaluable resource and a real eye-opener as well. Um, Thanks to Dr. Cassidy Preston for stopping by. Thanks to Darren Pang, Corey Lavalette, Elliot Friedman, uh, the returning Matt Marchese, although I think he's not here tomorrow, Uh, David Sis, Lance Kennedy, and Jen Rolnick as well. Uh, Enjoy the hockey tonight. Back in 22 hours, more of the Merrick Show across the Sportsnet radio network. Don't set goals, folks. Don't set goals. Right? Don't set goals. Don't set goals. Merrick Show's back tomorrow.